Of course, the NBA Finals are going down, but in the midst of the NBA Finals, so much has come out in the world of the NBA. Somebody was trending on Twitter <laughs> on Wednesday afternoon slash evening. Oh Maybe we'll God. talk about that. We got news about James Harden, news about Dame Lillard, news about uh, another big, uh, big player in this free agency, apparently, Chris Paul. We'll discuss that later, but... We'll get to the main course first. Welcome into Inside the Green Room with Danny Green. I'm Harrison Sanford. Let's talk about game three of the NBA Finals, where Nikola Jokic did his usual thing, his usual thing, a triple-double. Jamal Mm -hmm. Murray did his thing as well, which included a triple-double as the Denver Nuggets take back home court. I don't want to say steal. They took back game home court advantage. In these NBA finals, there's a bunch of disgust, Danny, but let's get into the nitty gritty main question for you, my friend. The biggest reason why the Denver Nuggets took back control of the series. Christian Brown. I don't know why they say Brown, but I mean, spelled like Brown, but Christian Brown off the bench played a huge role for them. Um, just the energy, the cutting and their size, the rebounder. They actually they finally took advantage of their size the way they should, of getting on the glass. You know, even though Michael Porter Jr. wasn't scoring the way he should have, he was on the offensive glass. He was cutting. He was rebounding. He was giving them extra possessions. Aaron Gordon on the glass, Jokic. And they also found a way, they found a couple, I won't say a way, but a couple plays. They had a couple sets for that zone that <laughs> that Miami's been giving so many other teams trouble with. And as soon as you see it happen, opened up like the Red Sea. See Jokic catch the ball on the right, you know, dunker area. A couple guys cutting. They had no answer for it, and there's too many smalls behind it, and they tried to trap Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray found guys outside of the trap for layups and ones like Christian Brown. Um, but their bench production, because their starters, obviously, Jokic and Murray have been unbelievable, and they continue to be unbelievable. But they're not getting what they need from the other guys, and that's mainly KCP, MPJ, um, offensively scoring-wise. But today, I think they better did a better job tonight. They did a better job defensively. And their assignments and not having as many uh, miscommunications. Uh, but with those guys not getting as many looks or shooting as well, Christian Brown stepped up, had an amazing game off the bench for them. Uh, they only scored 109 points. Um, so, yeah, Miami, even though that they didn't shoot well, have their other step up like they normally did, they still had a chance uh, to win that game. But, you know, the, the whole tempo and energy changed when, when Brown was in the game. 109-94 is your final, and you're right. Like, it's the Nuggets could still score a lot better uh 109 would i i don't i don't have their stats in front of me in terms of the regular season but i would assume that's under their regular season number uh but what they did they still shot very efficient from the floor uh they finished let's see here 51 percent from the field uh meanwhile the miami heat were 37 percent from the field and you talked about those rebounded numbers 58 rebounds for the Denver Nuggets, 33 for the Miami Heat, absolutely dominated them on the rebounds. And if you guys have been paying attention to me outside of the Inside the Green Room podcast, you know that I've been hammering Aaron Gordon's rebounds on the betting markets, and he finished with 10. But that's another story for another day that we can discuss on another platform. Uh, let's talk about what the Miami Heat have to do. You mentioned that zone got picked apart by the Denver Nuggets. And it was interesting because in game number one, I mean, game number two, they really had a hard time trying to solve the zone. But during the regular season, the Denver Nuggets were the number two team against the zone. Do you know the number one team against the zone in the regular season by any chance? It was Denver, no? They just didn't look like it in the first no, two games. No, they were number They were number, They were were number. number two. You know who was number one? That's a good damn question. Uh, I want to say, I want to say maybe Miami. It's going to surprise you. 
The Cleveland Cavaliers were the number one team scoring against the zone during the regular season. Yeah, very very surprising. surprising. Yes, but it was the Denver Nuggets who were the number two team. And again, tonight they showed why uh, they can operate against the zone. So now Eric Spolstra has to come up with something else to confuse the two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic and his Denver Nuggets. Danny, it's time to play head coach. The three keys and three keys only to (laughs) to Miami winning game number four. I honestly think they did a great job tonight. I think they continue to do what they do. If they can hold them to 109 points, I think they have a shot, um, especially with the way they've been scoring. So the biggest key for me is for them offensively is to maybe get more pace for them, but you know, getting their shooters more available, keep Gabe Vincent out of foul trouble, um, which would hurt that would hurt them because you need more from Gabe Vincent and Struess. But when you get those guys playing the way they normally play, you score enough. So you continue to play the way you're playing, do better on the glass. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's much that they do need to change. Obviously, switch up the zone. So they, they figured out the zone. They know how to score against it. Um, so you throw it in randomly, sporadically, when certain guys are not on the floor. Um, the trapping situation, you only throw the trap out there when certain guys are on the floor. Like when Jamal Murray, you can't trap him when there's certain guys that are on the floor. But, you know, Mike Malone's figured it out. He's at, putting good lineups in, and the guys that are the others are knowing how to make themselves effective, you know, when they're trapping Murray or Jokic is making them play one-on-one. They're finding ways to get more pace. Um, so, yeah, I, but I think with that all being said, Miami did a great job defensively. I think they just needed to score more, and that's obviously keeping Denver off the glass and not giving them second opportunities. Um, and just getting the shooters more looks, getting them more open, getting more pace for those shooters. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson played well. He didn't play a little more minutes, but – they they played a, a great game. Bam has been unbelievable, honestly. They need Bam to continue to play at that level, but they need more scoring from the others, which they normally do get in the playoffs. Well, throughout the playoffs, they have before this game. Um, so if they just continue to score better, rebound a little bit better, um, and you know continue to make keep MPJ and KCP out the game because they're going to have a hot night eventually. They're going to get uh, one of those nights where they're going to play well. Uh, but if you limit the others outside of Jokic and Murray, you give yourself a really good chance. Yeah, Gabe Vincent, two of 10 from the field today. Max Struess, one of seven from the field today. So uh, going to need some scoring from them. And maybe the, some scoring will come in the form of Tyler Hero as well. The scary thing, though, if they do play at a higher pace, that could invite some other Denver Nuggets scorers to enter themselves into the series. Bam Adebayo, uh, even though he finished with 22 points and 17 assists, 7 of 21 from the field, you're going to need him to be closer to 50% from the field uh, if they want to be successful. For sure. But they can do the pace without allowing Denver to have pace. You know what I'm saying? So offensively, they can do pace in half court set mm. or pace on offense, but make them slow them down defensively. I think they bring the press back a little bit more too. That zone press, just throw it out there once in a while, just to slow them down. But you can still slow down the game for them, but make the game faster for you in the half court set. Which your cuts moving. They did a great job in game three of you know moving without the ball. You see Duncan Robinson curling, Kayla Martin curling. And get them, they got extra possessions because of that. Even though they're smaller, because they're moving so much and so much switching going on, it gets Denver out of position to rebound, and it gives Miami a chance to get some offensive rebounds as the smaller team, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, um, actually, there were some quotes about Miami playing harder that I want to get to you, uh, I want to talk to you about, but we'll save that for the next segment. want to focus in on the guys that had triple-doubles tonight. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, those guys, man. Boy, are they a handful. And I found myself saying this dating back to the Phoenix Sun series. And I, I know it sounds blasphemous, but I'm going to say it anyway, because the way these guys are hooping, it seems pretty on point to me. 
bro, this is like some new age Shaq and Kobe. Like, yes, they got to win the titles. I get it. I mm-hmm. understand. But let's like, you know, Nikola Jokic was a two is a two time MVP. And every single time he t- he shoots the ball when he's in the paint, it feels like it just it kisses the rim and finds rolls the rim right in. And rolls right in. He's got that soft touch. It's going in. And like it makes it look so easy too. right foot, left foot. It don't matter what foot. It'd be ugly as hell. And he's going to shoot it right <laughs> over Kevin Love. And it's going to touch the front rim, touch the back rim. It's going to find its way to, through the net. It's unbelievable. Inc- but they said so that. Playing at a high level, bro. And Jamal Murray, we've seen this in the bubble, and we thought we could never see. We wouldn't think he would do that level, like get back to that level again. Better than the bubble now. Man, listen. I mean, obviously him and Donovan Mitchell scoring 50, 60, and it was unbelievable. It was hard to believe. but And he was making tough shots. Even when I was going to say, he would take turnaround fadeaways, post up, damn near by the three-point line, and making shots. And I'm like, this guy is on another level. He's just very comfortable right now. He'll never have another game like that. He's playing consistently like that time and time again, not just – from that series, but to this series on from playing the Lakers, playing Minnesota, whoever they're playing, he's coming up big. So even when those other guys that usually step up and average double digits like KCP, MPJ, he's carrying that that secondary load. You know, saying so you're expecting Jokic to get his 30 or so. And Jamal usually gets like, you know, maybe 25, 20. But he's getting 30 and a triple-double, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. He's doing all mm. the little stuff. And Aragorn, obviously, the big, bigger guard defensively, bubble guard Jimmy Butler, and getting rebounds. He's a big difference maker as well. And, and Christian Brown, I want to say Braun, him off the bench, he's a bigger <laughs> guard too. Getting to the rim, finishing Duncan, but also guard, he played a great defense guarding Jimmy as well. He stayed down, didn't fall for his pump fake, didn't get into like, in foul trouble. And offensively, he was aggressive. He got to the rim, got some end ones, um, you know, try to put Jimmy in the rim. You know, it was, oh, yeah. It was, he was out there, you know, he was a new he was a different guy out there tonight. He was aggressive. They're gonna continue to need that from him. Obviously, Bruce Brown as well. And then said the others, if they want to continue to stay consistent and, and win game four on the road. Um, but I expect Miami to, to come out very differently, especially Gabe Henson's not gonna get in foul trouble again. He's gonna shoot better. So is Max Drews. I think game four, four is gonna be one of the, the closer games we have in the series. It's gonna be similar to game two. I, I want to get your prediction to on game number four, but pointing out Jimmy Butler, five of six from the free throw line. Throughout these playoffs, he had been averaging nine free throws per game, but he had zero free throws in game number one, five three free throws in game number two, and only six tonight. It's a big factor to how he scores and allows the Miami Heat to set up their defense, but he's not getting to the line as much as he probably would like to in this series. But I want to let's go back to Jokic and Murray real quick. Uh, because mm-hmm. I said I, I, I like they're like some new ways, Shaq and Kobe. Yes, they don't have the the bling to verify that, but it's, Jokic it's not a sexy. is dominant. Yeah, Jokic <laughs> it's is not as sexy. It doesn't look as nice, not as athletic, but the numbers, they're putting up the numbers, man. They're putting up some extreme numbers, but continue. Yeah, Jokic is incredible. Murray's playing with a wealth of confidence, and obviously he has a whole scoring bag to him, and he's doing it in the triple-double fashion. Uh, he's had 10 assists at least in every single game so far this series. Uh, have you, I mean, you've played in the league for a long time. Have you ever played a big man-guard combination like this? Uh, and it's funny you asked me that because I was thinking about it and I couldn't find or think of any many. I played with some. Said you know, Kalo was on on the press for the other day. He was on at this press conference and he said and he had to think about it. And he's like, you know, Timmy and Tony. And I don't want to be biased because you know that's to me that's the the I'm gonna say the the ceiling, but that's that's the the best of the best to me. And I played with them, so I've been lucky to play with them. And I don't want to share somebody that's teammates of mine and always give credit to my teammates. But Timmy and Tony to me. Um, is the, the pedestal, you know what I'm saying? Um, but when I was thinking about it, there wasn't many bigs that were as dominant or could score like Jokic 
and combo of a point guard that could shoot and score like that. Um, the closest thing that I come to, and I don't want to disrespect these guys because these guys were fucking great too. Um, Marcus all and Mike Conley. And we had some playoff series against Memphis when I was in San Antonio where they both were kind of lighting us up. And also Zebo had uh, his fair share of, of lighting us up. And we got a couple guys paid, you know, a couple of those summers, but <laughs> Mark, he, he had great touch. He's a passing big. Um, I think he's better than Nicola defensively, like for sure. But offensively, the footwork, the skill work, the touch. Mark had really good touch too and could shoot it, but I don't think he could shoot it as well as, as Nicola can from three. Um, I, at, later in his career, he did. But also around the rim, said so that mid-range, that floater, right leg, left leg, his footwork, uh, be able to draw fouls. Um, and said so the numbers that uh, Jokic is pulling up, yeah, Mark was, wasn't near that. And Mark was an amazing player. Especially, he, especially, as the re, especially when it comes to the rebounds, too. I mean, Nikola just had a 20 rebound for, game. For sure. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Marcus Hall, defensive player of the year, was, you know, time and time again on defensive play, defensive list, all defensive team, and I think all NBA at some point. So he's an amazing player. But for, to say he's not close to Jokic is kind of crazy. Like, that just shows you how <laughs> talented Jokic is. And Jamal Murray. And, and, and the reason why Jamal Murray is a little bit over, I'll give him the edge on Mike Conley. He's, Mike Conley's quicker, great with floaters, shoot the three. But Jamal Murray said he could post you up. <laughs> and he, could re, he could rebound. You know, these are things that so Mike Conley could do, but in a different way. And he wasn't doing as effective. Um, so, yeah, these guys are – is nobody I've played against that I can compare them to except for them. And when I do play against them, it's a damn nightmare when you play against these guys. So, in the next couple of years, they're going to have the league in a, and they're going to hold the league by storm. If they stay together, stay healthy, stay consistent. Uh, and, you know, Jokic always finds a way to make guys around him better. So, that's what makes it easier for them to be able to operate the way they do. Um, so, yeah, man, it's going to be – if they can stay consistent, it's going to be interesting. But I said I think Miami is going to – Fight. They always come with that grit and grind, and they're going to find a way to sneak another game, I think. Nikola Jokic, 28 years of age. Jamal Murray, 26 years of age. They can have the league in the chokehold if they would so like. But maybe not so much because there are things happening in the free agency realm already mm -hmm. that could change, put the league on, 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 the, on top of its head with some of the headlines we're already getting, and free agency hasn't officially started yet at all so when we come back from break let's talk about some of the news that we're hearing in the twitter world but before we do that five seconds or less danny who wins game number four denver but it's within five it's within six points i'm just gonna say the heat because your boy still needs i need a seven game series and if the heat yeah, lose yeah. if the heat lose game four it's over in five i would love so, a seven game series but i think it only goes six at best and i think that Denver gets this next one, but it's a close game. Yeah. Well, if they, if, if, well, listen, if, if they have to go back to Denver on one day's rest because it, well, actually two days because it played, they play Monday. So they'll have a little bit more rest for Denver, but nonetheless, it'd be over in Denver. I can't, I can't see Miami. It's over. So, yeah, we'll see. All right. Let's talk about some free agency stuff right after the break. Gotta talk about the news about James Harden. Gotta talk about the news pertaining to Chris Paul. Gotta talk about the news that came out as it pertains to Damian Lillard. But before we do that, I have something that really annoys me. And I'm sure there's a lot of basketball fans out there and maybe some media members too who get annoyed by this too. And I have Danny here, so I have to ask him. I can't believe this is the first time I'm asking you. Mm -hmm. After game number two, Michael Malone said, we didn't play hard enough. 
XYZ, XYZ. There's, I believe it was Jimmy Butler who said after game three tonight, after they lost, we didn't play hard enough. Mm-hmm. Danny, what's the <laughs> deal with coaches and players talking about we didn't play hard enough, particularly in the playoffs? Like, is that code? That has to be code for something else because I'm not trying to hear. No, I tell you this. No fan is trying to hear you didn't play hard enough like that. that that's for just sure. annoying. And it doesn't and it doesn't actually feel real. But maybe it is. Can you can you explain why why we have to hear those things? It's not real because everybody comes out with the mindset of want to be intense. Now somebody might out want to say outwork you, but play harder than you, which shouldn't happen. But it happens. Some guys have a little more edge, a little more energy, whatever mental uh, focus or you know whatever you know meditation, whatever have motivation that they have in their mind. You know, they might have a water boy effect where they look at your face and they see somebody talking crazy or criticism um that they you know they, they store from tweets or whatever burners accounts mm. you never know what's going on um but in my way the way i look at it there's many ways to look at how when they say that it's really you're just calling out certain guys now it's not everybody didn't play hard there's a couple guys and i don't think they didn't play hard i just think they didn't play smart when i hear you mm. play hard you, you didn't play you played dumb and you let them play harder than you um in certain instances where it shouldn't happen whereas a missed rebound or a miscommunication or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, just certain 50-50 plays that shouldn't happen. Um, that doesn't mean that you're not playing hard. You're just not playing smart or you just had lapses that you shouldn't have had. And this guy outworked you on more possessions than you did them. Um, but I, I said also, it's not everybody. I think there's a couple guys that point out to you and I, I, I don't think they want to single anybody out. So it's like, you know, we got to play hard. And it's really like two or three guys really was out there out in fucking space. Maybe they just wasn't they didn't come to work or they came mm-hmm. to work. And they just physically, but mentally, they wasn't there, and they got outsmarted or they got outworked more plays than they should have, and it's not it's not acceptable. So that's how I take it. That's how I look at it. I think everybody comes out to play hard. I think everybody comes out to win. Um, and just some nights, it, it just certain plays can dictate the whole flow of the game, and it might change. You know, a twenty point game might be closer if two calls or two plays were adjusted in the midst of the second quarter, and it could have been a five or six point game. Um, you know, it just all depends on how the situation is rolling. I don't think it's ever like, oh, we just didn't come to play today. It was no, they shot better. They kicked our ass. They played well. They they played hard. They outsmarted us. They had more guys play harder than some of our guys. We had a couple guys that were out to space or out to lunch or just uh, played harder but didn't play smart. Either foul dumb plays, foul shooters, or foul three point shooters. Um, but you know, or we just didn't have rhythm or some rhythm threw them off. They missed a couple shots and it took them out of their game. They're just thinking too much. There's so many factors that come to so many variables, but I don't think it's the actual working hard part. So, yeah, you can take it how you want it to. I'd imagine so. It's just I'm sure there's a bunch of fans who just hate hearing that without it being broken down like you just broke it yeah. down. But to it's like you play, you pay too much money to play like you got to fucking play. You know, they, they're going to cut you out. <laughs> That's how the fans are. Come on, man. You can pay. Th- you got to make those shots. You're a pro. <laughs> My dad's one of those people. So I, I hear I hear it. I know it all the time. Like, and Draymond, he broke it. It's very hard to put that ball in the hoop sometimes, you know, especially when somebody's guarding you at that pace. It's not easy. It's not an easy game. Some games you feel great. Some games you feel terrible. Some games you might play great feeling great. Some games you might play terrible feeling great. Some games you might play great feeling terrible. You just never know until you go out there and toss it up and actually go out there and get a feel for it. And some guy, sometimes you have no control over a situation. You might get a lot of minutes. You might get spurty minutes. Your group that you're out there, you might be a, a negative, so you might look bad in doing that. You might get in foul trouble. A lot of those things can dictate or change the whole mood and flow of your game and the team's game. Yeah, right, there's a, there's a lot of variables uh, that we you know we could definitely get into. 
Um, but let's get into what is going to be driving a lot of uh, web traffic over the next month and a half. NBA free agency. First and foremost, we get to CJ yes. McCollum, who talked about his former teammate, Damian Lillard. And he said, if I was a betting man, that he would assume that Damian Lillard has played his last game with the Portland Trailblazers. Damian Lillard was on a Showtime podcast, I believe it was, with Brian Custer. And he said that if he did leave, uh, he immediately said Miami would be an option for him as well as Brooklyn, even though Miami, he said he wouldn't go if they won an NBA title. I just want your reaction as it seems as if Dame is more welcoming to the opportunity or the the, the option of leaving Portland real quick. I don't think so. I said, and you've seen in his story, he said you just run with it. People just run with anything. It wasn't like he mm. chose the, 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 the cities. The guy read him the cities. I heard the interview. He goes, you know, people say Brooklyn looks like a good place. New York is a good place. Miami. They mentioned a couple cities. He said, out of those four, like, which one you think is the best spot? Aha. That's how it was presented to him. So it was like, well, duh, shit. Miami's the nicest, sexiest <laughs> city. It's warm, no state taxes. And bam is my dog. And Miami's winning right now. They're in the finals. So, like, but I get him on not want to play for a team that's won a championship. I want to add value. I don't want to be a part of a just bandwagon a team that just won one. I want to go play for the team that lost to somebody and that can help them beat get over the hump that they didn't get over last year. So I'm with them yep. on that. But he said, you know, Bam is my guy. Then he said, uh, he said Brooklyn, Mikael Bridges is my guy. So that's what he said. It wasn't like I prefer to leave and I want these destinations. It was multiple choice, and it was like which one is the best out of the multiple choice. And he goes, well, Miami number one, and then Brooklyn number two. So, and then you know people ran with that, and it's like, oh, Dame wants Miami, to, and then he put on a story. You know, he put the Kanye. You know, uh, I guess not mean, but this recent, I don't know if it was a recent interview. I'm on a story and say, yo, people just run with anything. And that's how it was. You say anything in an interview and you're asked the question, it's always a test. And he's like, regardless of how you answer, you always fail, but they're going to run with anything I say anyway. So what's the point of even yeah. acting like, you know? Yeah, no, so for sure. Well, awesome. that's well, well. I'm sure you know how that goes. This is how the media game is played. That 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 quote got Gotta all clicks, the run man. that it needed. Yeah, and Gotta it got clicks, people bro. like <laughs> and it got people like me uh, talking about it here on the podcast. Uh, let's go to uh, rumor mill number two. Not necessarily a rumor because this is a confirmed report from multiple <laughs> uh, national NBA reporters. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have approached uh, Chris Paul to let him know that they will entertain either trading him, waving him, or waving and stretching him. If they wave and stretch him, they say they can get, I believe, up to $25 million. Uh, they'll, they'll free up about $25 million. They free up about $15 million if they just wave him in general. Um, but if they wave him and he clears waivers, then he has the opportunity to go back to the Suns. And obviously, there's still the option to trade him. What do you and Chris Paul, according to at least the Chris Haynes report, is planning on playing uh, at least a couple more years in the NBA. Your thoughts about moving on from Chris Paul? He is getting $15 million regardless. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that's his guaranteed portion of his $30.8 million deal. Um, obviously, he could fit in a lot of different places, but maybe has to be a bit cautious about his workload throughout the course of the regular season. Your immediate reaction when you saw the news. Well, when you said first start off uh, trending in, in Twitter, I, I thought of Zion. That's why I laughed at first. But I'm <laughs> glad we're not going into that. We ain't going to talk CP, about Zion here. That's not for CP, us. I, I'll do yeah, another podcast with somebody else where I can really talk about it. No, we'll leave Zion to everybody else. Um, but CP, my first initial thoughts was, wow, damn, they waving him. And then they came back with the reports that they're not waving him to send other. I was like, I thought if even if you didn't want to keep him, I thought like a sign of trade would have been smarter. 
I know that they were looking at Fred Van Fleet, which would be a good option for them. Um, but if you can't get those guys, it's hard to replace him. I think their best bet would to be stretch him if you can, wave him, and try to get him back after waivers for maybe cheaper if he wants to come back. Um, or said, or find a sign and trade situation for him to where you get back pieces to make you deeper, more depth, or at least have another point guard or a couple point guards. Campaign is good. But I don't know if you want him to be your starting point guard for next season. I do like him. I do like the fit for him. He does bring a good pace for them. Uh, but I think you do need another point guard, and you do need some depth. You need some bench. You need some shooting around those guys. You need some defense. I know knowing Frank Vogel, he's going to want some defensive pieces around him. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But at first, my initial thoughts, shocking. Wow. You know, you don't see a guy like Chris Paul being ever being waived. <laughs> There's always yeah. a trade, maybe a buyout. But it's like, damn, this is what the league's coming to. But it's a business. It's a money play. They got to find, figure it out. I know he's always had some unfortunate injuries in the playoffs every year, which sucks. And I feel for him because I've gone through the last couple of years. It's the worst time to, to get injured. Um, but, yeah, you know, he's getting older. And, and then part of the business is, is looking for younger or better pieces or pieces that can be available when you need them to. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And well, this, this is really this the, the new CBA coming in is really playing a role here because, again, you, you have four guys making real big time money. It is tremendously hard with this new CBA that's going to come in after next year uh, in order to make everything kind of work. So you can see this as Matt Ishbia and James Jones kind of setting the table so that they can afford to keep Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and still be competitive in terms of competing for an NBA championship. Let's get to another one. And I'll maybe I'll spend more time talking about it than you can because I'm a little be I'm gonna be a little mm -hmm. bit uh I don't want to be explosive about it, but I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna say how I really feel. Uh James Harden said during the end of the season that uh what he wanted to do was compete. That's what that mm -hmm. was his focus for his next stop, wherever he ended up playing, whether it's Philadelphia 76ers or what has been rumored to be the team, the Houston Rockets over the past since the beginning of the year felt like he's been rumored to go back to the Houston Rockets. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. There's no competing happening in Houston. If you go if he goes back to Houston, yes, they, will they be more entertaining? Maybe. Probably. But they will not be competing for an NBA championship coming out of the Western Conference. So. With that being said, there's a report that came out that James Harden, I believe it's from Sham Sarania, that James Harden is reportedly torn between going back to Houston and going back to Philadelphia. Obviously, Philadelphia is a place uh, where he's been the last one and a half years. Uh, they will obviously compete with Joel Embiid there, Nick Nurse there. I the man, I I used to live in Houston. I love Houston, mm -hmm. but the the window, the window for James Harden to be a prime player. A, fo a, a major player on a championship team is dwindling year by year by year. And if he goes to Houston, in my opinion, I'm not taking him seriously anymore as somebody who cares about winning a championship. And I can't believe, I know it could be just a leverage play to get the most money out of, out of Philadelphia. I know how the game goes. Mm -hmm. But if he does not end up in Philadelphia, I am not taking James Hart or, or Phoenix, who knows where he ends up. But if he ends up in, put it like this, if he ends up in Houston, Based on what he said, that he's only factoring in competing at a high level, and he ends up going to Houston, I'm not taking him seriously. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I know you can't. You can't. No, speak I'll speak on, the on it. I will. Yeah. I think that his thoughts were that Houston was going to get a higher pick. So if they got Wembenyama, which I think they had the worst record in the league, they had a chance. They had a, they had a chance. They so had a chance. Yes. Before that happened, I think he was thinking, you know, culturally if we can change things and then you have some really good pieces there 
you know, Jabari Smith, um, Sagun, he's really good. Um, you know, Jalen Green. Green. They got a lot, you know, Jake, they got a lot of good pieces there. And if he goes there, I think you turn around. Now they might not win a championship, but in his mind, he's looking at the long run, not just for winning, but you know, turning turning a culture around. Also, what it's gonna look like for him individually with his years and when he can make the max dollar for his years. I think he thinks he can always go back to a championship situation later on after he gets the years and the money that he wants mm. from a team that can still be some a team that he can still bring to the playoffs and still, you know, make a, a impact on. So I think the biggest place that there's a money play probably in it. And then probably also like trying to get the most years, you know, you know, three or four years at his age, which is so when you get older, you want to get the years. That's the biggest thing. And I don't think Philly would offer him that. Other teams may not. So, but if he ends up in Houston, yeah, it's tough to say he's looking for winning basketball or championship. But I think he could still make that team into a playoff team um, if they get right picks and some trades. But you know, there's a lot of not a lot of free agents. There are some free agents that might go. That Jalen Brown might end up there. Chris Middleton might end up there. All it takes is for him to buddy up with somebody else to get there, and they're a totally different team. Um, but said he may not back. Said if he doesn't end up, he could end up with other teams outside of Philly, and still I could still take him serious. Um, but it's going to be interesting, nonetheless, uh, to see where he ends up, where he lands, and what his decision is. And said for him, you know, he's a teammate of mine, he's a friend of mine. I play with him, love playing. With him. He's a great, great player, top seventy-five for a reason. He was Luca before Luca in my eyes, and um, I think he can change any franchise, any organization. I hope he lands in a place where he can still be play at a high level and compete and, you know, and hopefully get a chance to win. Yeah, I, I would say Houston can prove me wrong. They do have $60 million in cap space. And to your point, they have Alperin Shangun, Jabari Smith, and Jalen Green. And Ime Udoka is their head coach. So if they decided to kind of give up on some of their some of their assets that they have now, the number four pick, maybe a player or two that has a high, high potential window, like Jalen Green, to your point, to your point, they can make a big jump real fast. Again, with $60 million in cap space, it can happen in the snap of a finger. But if it Thanos. doesn't happen, if that if that roster does not look like a championship roster, then I would then I personally, as a fan of the sport of basketball, would be disappointed in James Harden. Again, I've lived in Houston, and if you may, if a man decides to go back to Houston, I ain't gonna blame him. <laughs> but I'm talking about in the world of basketball. As a basketball fan, I will have a modicum of disappointment. All right, about to head out of here. Reminder that we'll be back doing this show. We'll record after game number five, which is on Monday night. We'll record after that. The series could be over or it could be extended for another game back in Miami, which would then be the following Thursday. Boy, Danny, they spread these finals games out, boy. Jeez. Anyways, uh, let's talk about, so we talked about a couple of three guys who are going to be mentioned during free agency, uh, but there's one big slot that hasn't been filled yet that I I, I would assume needs to be filled before the NBA draft, let alone free agency. The Toronto Raptors and their head coaching gig. They currently do not have a head coach, and it made me think of their entire situation in general. Uh, number one, uh, Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam were both in the top six in minutes played this year. Uh, Fred Van Fleet is a free agent. Pascal Siakam is entering the last year of his deal. And uh, as we've learned, if you end up making the all NBA team, uh, you then make yourself eligible for the Supermax. And uh, guys, uh, Pascal Siakam making the Supermax does not seem like something a front office should want to do when the team itself is not in the playoffs. 
that's going to be a big issue for them to solve along with the head coaching situation. Also, you have to figure out as well, too. Uh, remember this past trading deadline, Mikhail Bridges, along with OG and Anobi, were getting a lot of attention as potential pieces that could be moved during the trading deadline. And you saw some of the prices uh, or the rumored deals that were out there. You're talking about three first round picks for OG and Anobi. Mm. If you're the Toronto Raptors, you're looking at a situation here where you have a guy who won rookie of the year in Scotty Barnes, who's a young player who's not going to he's not on the same timeline as Pascal Siakam, particularly with his certain type of skill set. And you could you know, we could even make a debate if they even fit together on the same roster if you want to maximize both players. So now you have a guy in Scotty Barnes who you spent a lot of you spent draft capital on who has a who has a decent future in front of him if he continues to develop. You have a guy in Pascal Siakam's on the up who's about to be 30. So they're now in the same age range. Uh, and then you have OG Ananobi, who's a great trade candidate as well. There is an opportunity, particularly with this new CBA being coming in after the end of next year, where Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and anybody else who's a decision maker in the Toronto Raptors front office can say, this is the perfect, especially with Giannis and Embiid, 28, 28 and over. This is a perfect time to say, Y'all got it. Y'all go ahead, do your thing. We're going to let Scotty build. We're going to hopefully, we could trade Pascal Siakam if we wanted. We could trade OG Ananobi if we want. We can get a couple of good young draft picks in here. And now we could build up organically again and not have to worry about all these other decisions that might not equate to ever winning a championship again or even being in contention. I think it's the, it it, it hurts because I like the city of Toronto and I want to see them have Mm -hmm. a competitive team. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the wisest way to go considering the landscape of the NBA and where their roster kind of shakes out again. Remember, Fred Van Fleet, also a free agent. So you don't want to st- I, I, as, as much as I like Fred's game, I'm not I wouldn't want to pay him 40, you know, 35 million dollars a year and pay Pascal 35 million dollars a year. If the best is going to equate to like is a play in game. That's not that's that that doesn't make sense to me. hundred percent. I agree. I I think it's time, Um, especially with the fact I think those guys have been used to winning and they want to win now. And I think it's just there. I think it's part of the reason why maybe Nick has lost the locker room. That was the rumor that he kind of lost the locker room and and guys are kind of over it or over the city. I don't know if they're over the city, uh, but the situation of being playing in games or not making the playoffs. Obviously, some of those guys had to go to Tampa during COVID, come back. Like it's been since the championship, since you know we won it, they have been a whirlwind of roller coaster of up and down and injuries and losing you know key guys like Norm and Kyle, um, mm. Kawhi, of course. Uh, so yeah, I think it's time for them to rebuild. You know, start over, start fresh, uh, get some picks. But you're gonna find you need to find a coach that can you know turn the culture around, turn the situation around, uh, and maybe there's somebody that can grab the locker room. Uh, but as I, said, I think at this point, Fred and, and Pascal and OG rather be in winning situations. And I'm not saying they can't win together, but I don't know if they can win a championship with those pieces. As I said I don't think they fit well. You know, Scotty, OG, Pascal—they're kind of similar in what they do or want to be. Like OG, I think wants to have a bigger role in certain situations. Could be wrong, um, but I think they'd rather be on winning teams. Um, so yeah, and paying those guys a lot of money to not win a championship or to not to be always at the end of you know seven, eight seed or nine between seven and ten. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm all for those guys. They deserve it. They deserve to get paid, but I want to see them win as well. Um, but it's, it's going to be like a Philly Philly situation before Joel got healthy. You know, they're going to need a Brett Brown type of guy to come in to be positive. 
get these young guys and it's or even Monty types, but it's hard. Slim pickings with the coaches that are left out there. I don't know who you're gonna get to be able to start or rebuild. You can get a young coach, um, figure it out. Work on draft picks. I don't know what pick they have in the draft this year, but I don't know if they're in the top five. The number fourteen. I, they're the number fourteen pick, I believe. Yeah. So it's going to take some time, but if I'm them, I think it's time to find a right coach that can you can build with, and and use those pieces, get some draft picks, keep one or two of those guys. You can build. I'll see the young guy, Scotty, is one of them, and, and try to get as many good pieces and picks for the other guys, and, and figure out you know good places to send them. You know, send them off. Uh, and you know, hope them for, hope for the best for them. Yeah, I, I'm not a general manager, uh, but I would ask the Portland Trailblazers who want who have said they want to compete with Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. I would again, if I was a Portland Trailblazers, I wouldn't do this. But if I was the Raptors, I would definitely entertain. Hey, Pascal Siakam to Portland for the number three pick. You know, whoever will do whatever you got to do to make the money match. Boom. That's one move. So now you're looking at either Scotty. You're looking at Scotty Barnes and Scoot Henderson or Scotty Barnes and Brandon Miller. Uh, whoever, you know, whoever Charlotte doesn't take with the number two pick. And then I'm looking at OG Ananobi as much. I think he could fit in almost any roster in the NBA. But teams willing to give me three first round draft picks for him. Yeah, we're going to have to move you, OG. And uh, I, I see what I could, I, and I'll maybe I'll give back the 14th pick and, and, and make it all work. But if I can get Scoot with Scotty or Brandon Miller with Scotty and a couple other guys that I could trust and maybe bring in a developmental coach like a Jordy Fernandez, who's been re- rumored to be there. He spent six years with the, uh, he spent six years with the Denver Nuggets after spending this past year with the Sacramento Kings. So it looks like he's probably got some innovative ways to play basketball. Kenny Atkinson is rumored to be one of the guys as well who could get the gig. Uh, Charles Lee, the assistant from the Milwaukee Bucks, has been rumored to be one of the top candidates for the gig. I give them the keys to the tr- give them the keys to the bus, and I say by the by three or four years, I need Scotty Barnes to be an All Star. I need our draft pick to be an All Star, and we work from there. That's the best way to do it. Paying. Paying Siakam and Fred Van Fleet again, as much as I, those are the guys, you know, they were, they were with us from day one of the pod. It don't make no more. It don't make sense. So. Get Phil Handy over there. You know what I'm saying? Get Phil Handy over there. You got Rico over there and, you know, head coach and staff or however you want to do it, but figure out the coaching staff first before you start making moves, but they need to do that yes. ASAP. Draft is coming up soon. Uh, you don't know who your coach is. Free agency is coming up soon. You don't know who your coach is. Yeah, that makes, that takes a, a toll, I want to say it's a big, part, important piece or part of these guys that are going to be free agents. Fred Van Fleet's going to, for him to not know if he wants to come back there because he doesn't know the coaches, you might miss out on some somebody like that. You got to clear that up. So hopefully they find somebody good, somebody that can said, keep the locker room, grab the locker room, and be ready for a rebuild or a cultural change or try to bring them back closer together. Um, but they're in a pickle. Yeah. But again, but then again, it wouldn't surprise me if they did some other move and became a competitive again because Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi are really good players. So I don't know, but uh, it seems to be they should lean one way over the other. We'll see how it happens. And of course, throughout the entirety of free agency, including Danny's, we'll be podcasting. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, I think that's pretty much all we got. Uh, I'd also like to let you guys know. Uh, that tonight during game three of the NBA finals, there were a bunch of tickets that I cashed out on. So uh, try and find mm. me outside of this and we could talk about it in bro. earnest. 
Congrats, Danny, it was, brother. Yo, it's straight, it was straight, bro. Can I just tell you what? Can I just it's, tell you about the cleanup? It seemed like easy I money. Just, it seemed like easy money. I, I had Jokic over ten assists, and he got ten. I had Jimmy under seven assists. I don't think he got the seven assists. I had Gabe Vincent over three threes. I don't think he got the three threes. Um, so yeah, I missed out on a couple. I was on Justin. Let me and just, today. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah, let's clarify where those things were taking place. That was because Richard Jefferson asked you on yes. NBA Today. Yeah. Uh, on air, would you like this or that? It's not like I just got to clear it up. Yeah, because I, I didn't bet. Not, yes, I didn't I bet. Yeah, but no I gave my Cause you advice. Because you see what's happening in the NFL, right? No, I did not see. I just gave my advice oh. to the fans who asked. But what's happening in the yeah. NFL? I didn't bet. Yeah, I'm no, not a betting I, man. I, I, of course. Of course you're not. But again, just, just in case, got to make sure we're on yeah. the up and up here. Uh, but a bunch of NFL players, uh, I think uh, some from the Colts, are are coming under fire. The the NFL has found out that they were betting on games, and you're looking at like Matt. Uh, you're looking at significant suspension for a number of NFL players um, that the league was tracking. So uh, that's that. Okay. Um, so say, repeat that again. <laughs> <laughs> so a number of NFL players uh, are facing uh, significant suspensions for gambling this past NFL season. Uh, I don't have all the details. I believe they were like, for example, there's a rule in the NFL. Like you're like you are like, let's say you're you're the, a linebacker for the Atlanta Falcons. You're allowed to bet on the NBA finals. Yes. But you cannot bet on the NBA finals while you're in a team facility. If you're betting from a uh, team facility, that is that is worthy of a suspension. So I think a lot of guys were placed. Yeah, yes. Any team wow. facility. I think a lot of guys were placing bets on while other sports, the thinking they were thinking they were in the clear, but you can't do that stuff while you're on t- on team property. And that's what a lot of the guys were doing. And so uh, trouble awaits them, unfortunately. So interesting concept yeah. with these rules here. So yeah. But I'm not betting. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole it's yeah, it's yeah, it's a whole it's a whole new world, that's for sure. But with that being said, uh you guys can find me on Twitter. Harrison Sanford, and you could find out where I'm giving your insights because I assume most of the people that are listening to this podcast are allowed to bet. (laughs) So uh, until next time, my friends, we'll see you after game number five. Hopefully it's not the end of the NBA finals. I'll be disappointed. Uh, Read, rate, subscribe, review. Read, rate, subscribe, review. Catch your boy on ESPN today or ESPN one of these days for the last one. I think I won last spot, but and Harrison, we'll catch we'll catch you on a couple of days. So yes, sir. See y'all. Peace.